kids, up to youth, you all can be dismissed. Head on down. As Mr. McKay makes his way up here, I won't give him my grand introduction like I usually do. You guys know him by now. He's been a mainstay and a regular. So, Stephen McKay, thank you again for being here with us. We appreciate it. Get this device turned on. How's everybody doing tonight? Amen. Praise God. So good to be with you on a Wednesday night. I pray that your summer has proved well. You are, some of you are vacationing. Some of you probably have or are going. We've been nonstop um, the last three weeks. My wife and I and three boys, uh, part of our summer is always evangelism, raising funds for missions. And so we have been <laughs> all over the place. Um, we left June 17th and got back July the uh, July 7th or 8th. Uh, we went to uh, Kansas City, Missouri, and then West Point, Nebraska, Grand Junction, Colorado, back through uh, Kansas again into Osceola, Missouri, down to Crane, Missouri, preaching all the way along. And we're home, home for this week, um, and then this, this Sunday we'll be in North Carolina. Uh, Tuesday I fly out for California to preach on the West Coast, and so it's nonstop, and uh, appreciate, covet your prayers as we travel much. Um, we're going to try and get into the nation of, Af nation of Africa, the nation of Kenya, uh, in the month of November to open up a, uh, my crusade director's church. And that'll be our first kind of push back into the foreign field in this, this year. Just the Lord's just done a lot, of, a lot of unique things, a lot of incredible things coming up the road and really, just really excited. Uh, but just appreciate this opportunity to stand before you. Um, the Lord, about three, four weeks ago, when Matt called me and said, hey, are you available July the 13th? Um, and I looked at my calendar and said, yes, I'm available that Wednesday night. He dropped something in my heart that I have been stewing on for about three weeks. And so finally, after all the travel and all the, uh, just being on the road, was able to get in and write this. And um, just me and the Lord today, I'm going to go to Deuteronomy chapter number four. And we're going to begin reading in verses number seven. And, and if this might be a little bit different, um, maybe a little bit philosophical, I, I, want, I want to just kind of give you something to think about. As a missionary, I've been to 40 nations. And uh, in light of travel, if, I mean, a lot of you have traveled. It's nothing to, you know, to say I've been to many countries. A lot of you just get on a plane and go. But in light of travel, in missions work, it's different. And I've been able to see nations, whole nations, and how they operate. Met, you know, people in their governments and, uh, and just the mindset behind it. And so as I've traveled, the question has come to me, what is different about the United States of America? What's different about the U.S. of A? We just celebrated July the 4th. Um, I don't know if anybody shot off any fireworks. It was a lot of fun. Amen. But we just celebrated Independence Day, and I feel like this is fitting for this, this time. So we're going to read Deuteronomy chapter number 4. We're going to begin reading in verses number 7. As God is speaking through Moses to the people, the children of Israel, for what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon Him? And what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that I set before you today? Verses number 9 is a key verse. Only take care and keep your soul diligently 
lest you forget. Everybody say, lest you forget. Because it's an easy thing as generations progress to forget the foundations of a nation. Lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. And then he goes on to say, make them known to your children and also to your children's children. Be diligent to teach the word of God and the law and precept of God's word, not just to your children, but as your grandchildren are raised, make sure you instill the precepts, principles of God's word into your grandchildren as well. Let's pray. Father, I thank you, Lord, for this privilege, God, to be together at Grace Meadows, Lord, with this body of believers. I thank you, Lord, for the faith that's in this house, Lord, to hear and the appreciation of your word. I pray, God, that that we would go home with, with something on our hearts and on our minds. Lord, that we might begin to dive into the very foundation of what, make, what makes us a people. I pray, Lord, that we would have a renewed appreciation for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Tonight, I want to talk to us about culture, capitalism, and the word of God. Now, I hope this is not going to be you know, a boring history lesson. Uh, but I, I want to just take us here because it's been in my heart for years, this this thought has been here for many years, and so just kind of give you a few definitions. Capitalism, everyone, everyone understands, you know, social class, right? Everybody understands we're in, we live in a capitalistic community, society, right? What that means is free enterprise. We're going to give you an, a definition, and all this ties into what I'm going to say. Capitalism is, is an economic system characterized by private or corporate ownership. Everybody say private or corporate ownership of capital goods by investments that are determined by private decisions and by prices, production, and the distribution of goods that are determined mainly by co competition in a free market. I'm not going to bore you with all, a lot of other things here, but the key word in that definition is private. It's, it's dependent solely upon the individual. Capitalism depends solely upon you and I. Some of you have any businesses here tonight, business owners, uh, you work for people that have businesses. The whole thing here is, is that we are able to create, we're able to, to start businesses. Then the second definition I want to give you here is, is culture. The definition of culture is the integrated pattern of human knowledge, belief, everybody say belief, and behavior that depends on the capacity for learning and transmitting knowledge to succeeding generations. Now follow me, I'm, not, I'm really going to try not to bore you here. But when we begin to think about the world that we live in, really, it is it's based on those two words, capitalism and culture. And in the midst of that, as we look at the United States of America, let me tell you something, it doesn't take very long for you to travel and you'll come to find out that there's no nation like the great U.S. of A. And all you American patriots say, Amen. There is no nation. I've been to 40 nations, traveled, walked up and down their roads, been in their synagogues and talked to all kinds of people. There's no nation that is like this nation. Three points I'm going to quickly move through. Three points tonight. The first one is national patriotism. Second point is national underpinnings. Third is the heart and soul of America. And I'm going to pull this all the way through into the Word of God. Okay, you with me? National patriotism. But before I get there, I want to just kind of uh, give, give an understanding of, of where I'm going. My wife and I have been doing, you know, we do Bible studies with our kids, devotions every single night. And I'll never forget, this really impacted my life. It was about a month and a half ago, and we were reading through our, 
our devotional, and uh, we, we, I read through this, this story, and I'm gonna, just going to read it to you, okay? Follow me. This story is called The Missionary No One Remembered by Clarence W. Hall. If you want this afterwards, I can get you the, the, uh, the link to it. Just, just listen to this. It says, The sun beat down upon, our, upon my steel helmet as we trudged through the jungles of the Japanese island of Okinawa. Not only were we being tormented in the sun, which this nation prides itself, but we had to be on the, the offensive in case the Japanese soldiers ambushed our military division. For you see, it was the year 1945, and I was working as a war correspondent with the American army fighting the Japanese in the Pacific. We had fought many costly battles going from island to island, capturing them from the Japanese, turning them into, the, into American strongholds. Each island we took drew us closer and closer to Japan herself. Our, our division pushed persistently through the jungle for days, fighting battle after battle. Everywhere we went, we faced host hostile people whose only intention was to drive us from their island. One day, we came across a small village nestled snugly amongst the bayan and twisted pine trees. Since it was directly before our advance, we had to work our way through it. Led by a tough old sergeant who had seen many a battle, we timidly entered the quiet little village. All was still. Where was everyone? One of the soldiers asked. Do you think it's an ambush? Another soldier asked me. I don't know. Within my chest, I could feel my heart thumping, and I wondered whether this day would be my last. We heard footsteps, and what do you think we saw? Japanese soldiers? Not Japanese soldiers, but two elderly men coming, uh, came out from around a building. Instead of shouting at us and telling us to get out, they greeted us with smiles and courteous bows. My name is Mojan Nakamura, began the elder of the two. I am the mayor of this village. Follow me. There is, this here is Kina, the guy's name was Kina, the village schoolmaster. Master. Welcome to Shimbuk. Anybody know how to say this? Shimabuku. Welcome to Shimabuku. I could see the frown on the face of the battled, the battle-hardened old sergeant. He was not in mood for tricks. What is that in your hand? He demanded. This, sir, is my Bible. Nakamura answered. We are brothers. This is a true story. We are brothers. Come into our village and eat some rice. You must be hungry. We all were extremely perplexed and surprised by this. It seems that we've been greeted by fellow Christians as friends instead of enemies. How could that be? What I saw after meeting those men was, astounded, uh, was astounding beyond belief. Compared to the other Okinawan villages we had passed through, which were dirty and unkept, this one was paradise. Everywhere people greeted us with beautiful smiles and warm, and warm bows. Their houses were neat and clean. The fields were abundant with crops. Their granaries and storehouses were full. They took us into the house of the mayor and sat us down on a mat as was customary and brought us bowls of snowy white rice and chopsticks. And as we ate, we talked. Man, it is raining. Praise God. As we, we ate, we began to talk. Are you still with me? Have you ever met any Americans before? I asked. Yes, we met one long ago, answered Kina. He gave us a Bible and he held it up proudly. This is what had happened. Some 30 years prior, an American missionary had passed through this village on his way to Japan. And while he was there, he taught these two men the gospel and he taught them two hymns. 
These men got saved, and the missionaries stayed long enough to disciple Nakamura and Kina and educate them to tell the rest of the village about God's love. They, then he had, had, he had left leaving them uh, with a Japanese copy of the Bible and exhorted them to live by it. Do you remember the missionary's name? I asked. No, we do not remember his name, they answered. But we remember what he taught us, and we remember his parting words to us. He said, study this book well. It will give you strong faith, and when faith is strong, everything is strong. You say that with me? When faith is strong, everything is strong. These people had, not con had, had no contact with any Christian sense, but just using the Bible, these men, Nakumira and Kina, had, dis had discipled the entire village, and together they turned it into an entirely Christian community based upon the Ten Commandments and the Sermon on the Mount. The Bible was the sole education of Kina's school, and in Nakamura's government, the Bible's precepts were law. We were astounded to learn all of this, but even more incredible was its fruit. There was no need for prisons in the village. There had been no drunkenness, no divorce for many years. The people were so full of love for God and for each other that it was contagious. There was a high level of health and happiness. Later, we attended one of their church services. He said, and it was a beautiful thing to hear them sing old, old hymns. And mission, the missionary had taught them, which were, fairest Lord Jesus, and all hail the power of Jesus' name. After that, we had to leave the village as our division had to move on. And he said, I was reluctant to leave it. As I was drawn, I was drawn to the love, the joy, the peace that was there, even though they were surrounded by fighting and by war. We were all very quiet as we drove away in our jeeps, each engaged in our own thoughts. But I knew that all our thoughts were in one place, and that was in Shimabuka. So, that's what comes of one Bible and a couple of guys who want to live like Jesus, one of the soldiers whispered to me. Perhaps we're using the wrong kinds of weapons. I read you that story because it gives us an understanding of the importance of the Word of God. One Bible left alone with two men in the middle of Okinawa, and these two men devoted their whole life to teaching just the Word of God to their village, and the outcome, it kind of worked itself out. It's incredible what the Word of God alone will do, as I've seen it around the world. You just carry the Word of God in, and it completely transforms whole nations. I was in the nation of Myanmar, where our orphanages are, and uh, I remember going there the first time and seeing, I've seen poverty before, but this was poverty on another level. And then again, coupled with it, the, the difference in culture, the Buddhism that was prevalent, and, and all of the ideas that are behind Buddhism, and, and, and the rules and law that it pushes. And I just began to ask the Lord questions. Why these people? What's going on here? And he spoke to me, and he said, Stephen, all that is required is my word. My word alone is like a seed. You plant it in the ground, in the heart and soul of men, and every, it works everything out from the inside out. The gospel is powerful enough to change nations. Somebody say amen. I'm going to talk to you tonight about national patriotism. A lot of, I'm, I'm Canadian by birth, if you didn't know that. I was born on the, on, in, in, uh, on the island of Newfoundland, Canada, East Coast. I was raised till I was 18 in the province of Alberta. Moved to Papua New Guinea when I was 19. Met this southern belle when I was, uh, well, when I was 19, 18. And we got married and praise God, I'm an American. Amen. <laughs> National patriotism. 
After traveling across the earth for almost two decades, visiting nation after nation, it goes without apology that America is the greatest nation in terms of material possession and structure. There is no nation on the planet, anywhere that you go, that's like the United States of America. Hands down, there's no other nation. No nation holds a candle to its sheer majesty and military power. The Statue of Liberty, of Lady Liberty, standing in New York Harbor is a symbol of freedom that is recognized all around the world. It doesn't matter where I go, that picture, that image shows up. Everywhere I go in nations as I crisscross the globe, people come to me and say, please take me to America. We just want to see the, the streets. Is it really real, the houses you live in? Is it true, the, the transportation and the trains and the buses and the airplanes? Is it all really true? I was in the nation of Congo preaching in the middle of the jungle and I was preaching to them about heaven. And when I said the words that America doesn't hold a candle to what you're going to get in heaven, they couldn't believe what I was saying. My director, when he came here from Kenya for the first time, we were driving through some of the, the neighborhoods. I don't know if you know where Shadowwood is, but oh, we were driving through Shadowwood, and, and Ben O'Kello looked at me, and he said, what is heaven going to be for you people? What is it going to be like? You have everything. You live in houses that we dream about. They've asked me constantly, please take me to America. Millions covet the day when they can say that their feet has touched our soil. But I've got a question for us tonight. What is it about America that sets her apart from every other nation? You ever ask that question? What is it about our people? What is it about our, our systems, our governments? What, what is it about this nation that is so absolutely different from every other nation in the world? Is it, is it some ancient blessing bound to her soil? Was it some shaman or some witch doctor that, you know, prayed some, some blessing over her soil, if that was true, every nation in Africa would be just like us because they do it all the time. Can the source of her uniqueness and beauty be ascribed to our wealth of natural resources? Is it within all the natural resource that we have across this nation? The oil the deposits, the natural gas, and on and on and I could go. Is it, is it the natural resources that make us different? If that were true, what's wrong with Africa? What's wrong with the Middle East? What's wrong with Congo? Congo has so much gold in it, it's, it's, it's mind-blowing. When I used to live in Papua New Guinea, there's a gold mine uh, in the Southern Highlands called Pogara Gold Mine. And they've got so much wealth, but that's not the difference. What about our structure and substructure of governments? Is that the answer? Divided between national, state, and local governments. Is that what makes the difference between us and France or us and Egypt, what's the difference? What makes the difference of America? Is our greatness found within the divisions of, of our national powers? Is it within the, legisl the legislative, uh, legislative branch where our law laws come forth? Or the executive branch where our laws are carried out? Or the judicial branch where our laws are evaluated? Is it within the government structure of our people? Is that where our greatness lies? within all of these divisions of power? Can the greatness of this nation be pinned on one of the programs or services that we've created? Is it somehow that we are wiser than all men? Is it somehow that we have been gifted or been brilliant to craft all of these things to carve out the America that we see today? Is that the difference? Is it found in how we educate our children? Not today. Amen? I spoke to a man that moved here recently from 
California, and he, was, he said, I was in, I've been in education all of my adult career. And he said, in the county of California that we just moved from, he said, the, the, uh, the school board is not just pushing, but forcing us to teach. Um, the curriculum is written by Antifa in our county, in our, 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 our district. He said, we're not allowed to teach the United States Constitution. We have to teach whatever they, they believe in at, at the UN, their, their fundamental belief. Is it the education that we're teaching our children that make us so different? Or how do we, or how we ensure the safety of our citizens, both, both domestically with our police efforts and nationally with our military might? Is that the difference? You ever ask yourself these questions? Is it because we got big guns? Is it because we have nuclear weapons that make America different? Is that what makes America different? Is this what separates us from the rest of the world? I beg to differ. All nations, whether large or small, have implemented such programs. Every nation I've ever been to have such divisions of government and divisions of power. They've got military, maybe not as big as ours, but they've tried with all, they've, they, all that they can conjure up to replicate what we have here in the United States. I've been to some nations that literally have taken the United States government and transposed it into their own nation to try to make it work. They try to make this work. Surely, if America can do it, we can do it as well. Why does capitalism thrive in America, free enterprise? And other nations, it's falling apart. They have the same principles. They have the same law. They, they, they go about the same process. But yet they cannot, they're still impoverished. What's the difference? You ever ask yourself these questions? Go to France. It's a different nation altogether. The city of Paris right now is under a civil war with Islam. Did you know that? Paris, the city of Paris is under, under a civil war with Islam. Just go to England and you'll find it completely different. Africa, the Middle East, no. What then is it that is so remarkably different about these people, the world called Americans, the world they call us American? What is so different about our people? What is it that made this nation so, so absolutely different? Let me talk to you for just a moment about na our national underpinnings. Because what we see on the surface in all of our business, in all of our high-rise buildings, in all the affluence and all the wealth, there's something that holds us together. Is that right? Or is it just money? There's something about us that holds this nation together. National underpinnings. Without much intelligence, we all know, or we know that all structure and substructure of government and culture have one thing in common. It doesn't matter where you are in the world or where you are in the United States of America, all structure and substructure of, of anywhere you go have one thing in common, and that word is people. Everybody say people. Without people, governments are not needed. If you fly across the jungle and there's no development, is there any need of government? Without people, laws are unnecessary. Punishments have no power. Classrooms remain empty. And prisons are pointless. You ever see these TV shows where they go and they, they revisit ghost towns and there's some you know, nestled in the mountains, places that were one, one time a, a mining town. But then, you know, over the years, the, the, I guess the, the, the well dried up and they left and left everything. You walk through these ghost towns. Are there any need of law? Is there any need of any structure? 
of any prison or any education. No, because they're, they're void of people. There is no people in any of these places. From the highest level of government in this land to the lowest esteemed occupation, one thing is sure, somebody has to fill their offices and their position. This is the reason why each member of society is important. All of us have a role to play, right? doesn't matter if your job is maybe looked upon in culture as a low esteemed job or you're the governor of the state of Tennessee. Every one of these offices have to be filled by people. I'm going somewhere tonight. I hope I'm not boring you with this, this social lesson. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you something in just a moment. Somebody has to fill its office or its position. Whether you operate a dozer at the Washington County landfill or you're the governor of some state, this one thing is sure, you're made up of the same fabric, fabric bearing on your resemblance the image of God. It doesn't matter what your occupation, what your position in society, what your class, how much money you got in your bank account, you are made up of the same fabric. Sorry if I'm yelling. <laughs> I'm, so, I'm so used to preaching overseas. You are, you are made up of the same fabric as everybody. There's no difference in your makeup. Whether you, you live in the United States of America, or you live in Africa, or you live in Asia, we are all made in the image of God. Amen? All of us are created, formed, and fashioned in the image of God. The Bible says, I remember reading it a few, few days ago, that of one blood created all of us. He, he created all of us. So all of us are formed and fashioned in the image of God, and being formed in the image of God regardless of race, ethnicity, national, nationality, or language, you ascribe to some sort of standard to live by. Right? Do we all have boundaries? Follow me now on this social, this, this social studies lesson. <laughs> Do we all have boundaries? Things that you, you draw a line in the sand and you say, this is my line. I, I will go here and go no further. When it comes to child raising, this is my line. When it comes to treating other people, this is my line, right? We, we all are, are bound by a set of moral principles that we make up for ourselves. How we want to live our lives, how we want to treat other people, how, how we, we go about in society. All of us, we live by some sort of standard. There's a standard that we live by. And what a beautiful thing it is to find a community of people that operate under a standard of integrity. Everybody say integrity. It is within the individual private lives of our citizens that we begin to uncover where our strength truly lies. With inside the heart and the life of each one of us individually, that's where we find the strength of our nation. What we believe as a people. It's, it's an amazing thing for me to think about the United States of America in all of its grandeur and all of its splendor, as you go from coast to coast. Man, I never realized how big this nation was until I drove from California to Tennessee in four days. It's a long trip, and there's a lot to see in between. But every city you come to, you see a, a standard. You see something set, a standard that we live by. It's an incredible thing to see a people that live by a standard of integrity. Integrity. How quickly homes fall apart when the integrity of the marriage is compromised. 
I'm dealing with something in my own life right now within my sphere of influence. A friend of mine is watching his home completely fall apart because of one that chose to not keep integrity. How quickly the innocence of little children are robbed by the lack of integrity are robbed of their innocence by the lack of integrity from a parent or guardian who no longer wants to hold the, respons the responsibility of child raising. You see homes fall apart. You see children now in this generation that are raising themselves because of parents not wanting to uphold the standard of a mother or a father. And they push off the responsibility. But how beautiful it is when you look at a family that holds that moral integrity that holds the, the standard and say, we're going to raise our own children. We're going to do what we know to do is right. Follow me. I'm going somewhere tonight. How quickly businesses are undermined by just one or two employees who lack the integrity to do what is right by their employers and take what, is, what does not belong to them. How quickly businesses fall apart by people do you get me? By people that choose to do what is not right. That choose to not walk or operate in the sphere or the realm of integrity. How quickly distrust and suspicion grows when the integrity of a squadron of soldiers is compromised by one who is thought to be trustworthy but exposed them to the enemy. How quickly that squadron of soldiers falls apart. How quickly we fall into disarray. How quickly lives are lost when we do not operate by the principle of integrity. How rapid churches implode. And I've seen it over and over and over again, especially in this generation, where the pastor or somebody on the, on the staff chooses to walk countercultural to the Word of God. Everything falls like a house of cards. What's the, what's the key word I'm talking about? Integrity. Do we have integrity tonight? Are we a people of integrity? But listen, how quickly governments break down because of inward bribes taken for personal gain over the protection and betterment of the people. Everywhere I've ever been, everywhere I've ever been, all I hear in nations is corruption. 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 I go to Kenya, and it's corrupt. I go to Haiti, and it's corrupt. I go to Egypt. Corruption, corruption. And I asked them, what are you talking about? Our leaders are corrupt. Our leaders are corrupt. Are the people we elected in power, they're corrupt people. And sadly to say, it's becoming a word that we're talking about in America. Is that true? This generation, the last election, all that, the, that, that one word is coming forth. Corruption, corruption, corruption. Things are beginning to implode from the inside. Corruption. But integrity is the opposite of corruption. Integrity is something that we hold a standard within ourselves. I, I heard one man say, you are who you are when you're all by yourself. Who you really are is who you are when you're alone. And when you're alone, it's only integrity that will keep you, integrity that will cause you to do what's right, regardless of the situation. It's that integrity but here, as we see our nation under the auspices of, of a government that is 
I don't know. I don't know what's going on up there. <laughs> but the catch word here is corruption. We see so much corruption. What does this have to do with the word of God, Stephen? Where are you going? This has been a great social history class. And Follow me here. The national underpinnings of all things rest within the principle of personal integrity. Personal integrity. It's on an individual level. Each one of us in this room hold a standard within our own self that we will not violate. A standard. And when that standard is removed from a people, we begin to see the demise of a nation. It starts on the home level. But follow, follow me. It is, rests within the principle of personal integrity and choice to do, to always do what is right, regardless of the repercussions. On all levels, great or small, it is the embrace of moral integrity that has made this nation to become what it has become. That moral integrity. America, the land of the free, who judge righteously without partiality. You think about America, when you're overseas and you see the corruption, you can go into the court system with 20 bucks in your pocket and pay the judge off. You can walk down the street in Kenya and give somebody $5, a police officer, $5, and he'll get you out of trouble. That's, that's how, but not so in America, right? Please don't try to do that. Please don't bribe a police officer. What am, I, what am I saying? Stephen, what are you saying? It's this principle of moral uprightness that has held us all this way from the time the foundation of this nation started all the way through who give equal opportunity to all people. doesn't matter who comes to this great nation, right? You accepted a Canadian? Thank you. Amen. It doesn't matter who, who comes in this country, whether you come from whatever nation you come from, equal opportunity is provided for you. Where does that come from? Integrity. Where does it come from? I hope I'm not boring you. But with all, with our understanding of integrity that upholds this nation and the current absence of it that has begun its destruction, we have, one, we have to ask one last question, and I'm going to hurry here. Where do we find the source of our integrity? Where? Where do we find, I don't know about you, you ever raise any children? My children from, come, take, came out of the womb are little devils. You got to teach them, right? I'm just kidding. I hope you. My little six-year-old son, the other day, I caught him in a lie. Did I teach him how to lie? No. You teach our, do you teach your children how to steal? Some people do, sadly. You teach your children how to be re rebellious? You, you, you cultivate that in your home? Do you teach them? No, you don't. By nature, we are rebels by nature. We've got to be taught. So what am I saying? Did this idea of moral uprightness just pop into our brains? Say, well, you know what? We should do right. You know, we, we should just, we should live right. You know, I'm tired of beating you up and cussing you out. And we, we just need to live right. No, it doesn't happen like that. Where does integrity come from? Capitalism falls apart if there's no integrity. But where do we derive our integrity from? Last point, and I'm closing here. The heart and soul of America. We did not craft this principle of integrity within our own intellect or reason. I have to threaten my children's lives to make them do what is right. 
I'm sure you have to do the same or had to do the same. By our very nature, we are deprived of morality and violators of its principles. This code of right and wrong that we operate our lives by did not originate with our parents. It did not originate with our grandparents. Truth, by its very nature, was injected into our culture by our founding fathers through nothing else but the Word of God. I, I, if, you don't, if, you, if you fell asleep the whole time and you don't hear anything else I say, what made the United States as powerful as it is, is this book right here. There is no other source of moral integrity that, that, that is, has been injected into this culture. Take capitalism to Egypt and it's corrupt, it doesn't work. Take capitalism over to Africa, to Kenya, to Ethiopia, take it over there, it doesn't work. Why? Because the underpinnings of their nation is not the word of God. They believe all kinds of things that do not, I guess, promote truth. A truth by itself, this Bible right here, is what this nation was built upon. And the, the moral principle that you and I live by, you know, you, you ever wonder, you see our, our, our culture as a whole, and you look outside these windows, and you go shopping, and there's like this unwritten code, right? There's this unwritten code that, you know, you, you, you do what's right. You, you don't violate somebody's personal space. You don't take what, what doesn't, doesn't belong to you. Where did that come from in our culture? It didn't just pop out of thin air. We were taught for generations. Where it, we were taught this word for generation after generation after generation. Preachers stood in pulpits and brought this black book up and said, let me show you what the Lord has said. Let me tell you what God demands out of us. And I think about 75 years ago, maybe almost 100 years ago, well, yeah, almost that now, where America, one-room schoolhouse. Do you remember those days? I don't think anybody was alive in this one-room schoolhouse where the school was in the church house, little, little small towns, and, but everything was built on the moral principles of God's Word. And I'm, gonna, I'm here to tell you tonight, if we walk away from the Word of God, our culture falls apart. It collapses. It Anybody asking any questions today? Anyone ask? Have you asked the question, what's going on with our people? What's happening with our, with our school systems? What's wrong with our children? What's going on? Why is there such a disconnect? Why the number, why is people getting divorced left, right, and center? Why so much immorality? It's because we've left this. We've set it on a shelf. We say, we're, we can govern our own self. We don't need any, we don't need any uh, absolutes. There is no absolute truth. That's what they're saying to us in our schools and education. There's no real absolute. Everything's relative. You just believe whatever you want. That's a bunch of hogwash. Truth by its very nature is exclusive. There is only one truth. There's not truth plus it's truth only, and there can only be one. Man, I wish I had all night to tell you, talk to you about it. It's not truth plus. There's only one truth, and if you're here long enough, I could explain to you that it's only this right here, this book. And our culture's done a great job at confusing us, saying, well, you know, the Muslims have a God, and, and uh, 
you know, they, they, in their own belief, they're going to make it. And the Buddhists, you know, they, they don't really have a God, but they worship Gautama Buddha. And, uh, you know, in their own belief, it, they're, they're going to make it. And, and, and what about Hinduism? And, and then what about secularism and atheism? And everything's relative. You just do whatever you want. I'm sorry. I don't mean to hurt your feelings. But truth, there is truth. And it's not relative. There is only one. There is only, Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No man cometh unto the Father except through me. It is through the constant hearing and application of morality, musicians, if you'd return before I go into tomorrow. <laughs> it is through the constant hearing and application of morality through God's word that we develop and establish the boundaries of integrity. Then through integrity, integrity truth, to God's word, we enter our society, culture, and economy with principles to live by. That's how it works. You get it upside down and it doesn't work. It starts here. It starts personally in my relationship with Jesus. This is the reason why the gospel is so important. So important. It's so important to teach it to our children, to teach it to our grandchildren that we not forget the principles and precepts because it's on the individual level. Individual integrity. You know, there was a day in, in America, I don't remember it, I wasn't here, I wasn't born, but I heard of a day in America when you could leave the, your keys to your car, in the car, and leave your house unlocked and your windows open. And if it rained, your neighbor would come over and shut your windows. Right? Where did that go? But where did it, where did that by where did it come from? It comes from a constant application and hearing of God's word. Will you stand with me tonight? Remove the word of God from our culture and capitalism in the West, it falls apart. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 9, it says, I'll read it again. Only take heed to yourself and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget. Except you forget the things that your eyes have seen, unless they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Proverbs 14 and 34 says, Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. It is only righteousness that has elevated this nation. People can say it's the brilliance of our businessmen, the brilliance of our politicians, it's the brilliance of whatever, it's nonsense. Righteousness alone, righteousness alone exalts a people. But sin causes all things to crumble. Bow your heads with me, please. Father, I just thank you. I thank you, oh God, for this opportunity we've had to come together. Lord, I pray that I was clear. Father, like that little village in Okinawa, your word is enough. Your word alone, God, changes a people. And I pray, Father, in the name of Jesus, that we would get a renewed sense of your word the need of the understanding of truth, 
that we would have an answer for this generation when it comes to us with questions regarding faith, eternity, salvation. God, that we would have an answer for our people. And it's bound up in your word. Our whole culture was injected by truth over the years. And Lord, I pray that we would gain a renewed sense of purpose and importance in your word. Father, I pray over our government tonight. Will you help me pray? Just call out upon Jesus. We just pray, God, over our government. Pray, Lord, right now that you would get a hold of what's going on in this nation. Father, that you'd open the eyes of those that have been blinded by the God of this world. Lord, that you would create a renewed sense of importance within the hearts of every man, man and woman to understand what truth, what is truth and what is not truth. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that you'd be with our children. God, as they are growing in a nation that is quickly, rapidly walking away from God. I pray Jesus over our little boys and little girls that we as a people, as your people, that we would pour into them truth. Take your word and take it at face value and teach our children when they wake up and teach our children when they lay down. Teach our children. Father, I pray that you forgive us for a lack of devotion, a lack of commitment to your word. I thank you, Jesus, that you're long-suffering and you're merciful. I thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in this house. 